I'm pretty much a poet. Iron County poet right here. Revelation chapter 22. Father, thank you for the opportunity to read your word this morning, to unpack it, to apply it, to be instructed by it, to be uh, convicted by it, to be um, strengthened in our faith by it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding and the ability to take what we've learned and figure out what we're supposed to do with it. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are the Word, that in the beginning the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And Father, we thank you that you're in our midst right now, and we pray, Father, that you would lead us in the way everlasting as we're instructed by these words that were given to John, the apostle. So Father, reveal Jesus to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Revelation chapter 22, this is the culmination of all that the Bible has been headed to since Genesis, by the way. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created, bara. He created something, the place that we live, and even us, from nothing. And in Revelation chapter 21, after he spent the entire tribulation period essentially judging the earth and purifying it, and removing the presence of sin, removing the people of sin, removing the tempter to sin, cast into the fiery lake of fire, fiery lake of fire, the fiery place, the lake of fire that was foreordained for, the, for Satan and the demons to be sent, and then those who have followed after him will be sent there with him. And then at this point, there's no longer temptation to sin, and, and in Revelation chapter 21 it says that John saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And then John also writes down for us that he sees a new Jerusalem, a new place for God to dwell on earth, a place where we can approach, essentially it's heaven. And heaven comes from, excuse me, new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth, joining the two places, the fulfillment of Jesus's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. And so we see this fulfillment in Revelation 21, and then the glory of the new Jerusalem, as we looked at that, John was shown by an angel this bride. He said, come and see the bride. And expecting to see what I would assume, a bride adorned for her wedding, he instead sees this city adorned for the presence of God to be in her midst. And so the very dwelling place of God, God with us completely, no longer partially. We don't see heaven through a glass dimly, as Corinthians talks about, but now we see him face to face. And as we see him face to face, his glory shines forth and there's no longer any need for a sun or a moon. His presence illuminates the entire earth. And so the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Revelation 22 begins in verse 1 and says, he showed me a pure river of water of life. So let's not forget the context of this passage, because in 
Revelation 21, verse 9, we see the he that he's talking about. Remember, uh, verse 9, it says, One of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, John, and talked with me, saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So in chapter 22, he is this same angel speaking to John, and he shows him a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. It's going to be clearer than current river, believe it or not. I know that current river is one of the most beautiful rivers, but it will be clearer even than that. And so as we see this river proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Imagine that, 12 fruits and 12 months. You're part of the, the not the jelly of the month club, but the fruit of the month club. But it won't just be some fruit you don't want to eat. It's going to be fruit from the tree of life, eternal life. And we will have access. And so the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants, our ears should perk up. As servants of the Most High God, this is what is afforded to us. This is what we have rights to. As a Christian, we're right now, everybody's arguing about, I've got rights. Here's your rights. These are your kingdom promised rights. Forget the rights of this world. Those rights can be taken. But the rights afforded to us because we are Jesus's now. We have been bought by his precious blood. These are our rights as servants. He says, his servants shall serve him. That's our number one right. We get to serve God. That is a privilege, by the way. Not just everybody gets to. And then it says, they shall see his face. No one has ever seen God without perishing in the process, but we will see him face to face. And then it says, uh, his name shall be on their foreheads. Now, in contrast to the name that those who had rebelled against God took the mark of the beast. Now, think about Toy Story for a minute. What did the little boy do with his toys? They, he wrote his name on the foot of the toys. And how did they get scared? When, what was the problem? When someone would remove that name from their foot. Now, I'm not looking for Jesus in Pixar. I'm just telling you that when we are owned by him, his name will be upon us. We will be called sons of the most high God. So we are now his. We are his precious possession. We're his reward. And so <clears throat> with that being said, there shall be, his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. And they need no lamp nor light of the sun, no more flashlights, for the Lord God gives them light. He is the light of the world. He's made us the light of the world. We're in a dark place. We shine like a city set on the hill. And in that time, he will be the light of the world and they shall reign forever and ever. So those are the rights afforded to us. We will rule and reign with Jesus as a part of us being his servants. We will serve him and rule. And so all of that to say, let's go back to verse one. Verse one, 
there will be a pure river from, the, from God's throne. And the river that flows during this 1,000-year reign that we spoke about previously, that remember there's that millennial kingdom spoken about in Revelation, and, and that millennial kingdom, there will be a river, Zechariah chapter 14 talks about this, and I'm going to go there. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, <clears throat> it's one of the last, it's one of the minor prophets. I'll get there eventually. But in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1, this is how Zechariah describes it as it's revealed to him by the Lord. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken the houses rifled and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall be cut off from the city. And then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And that's been a big portion of what we've studied in Revelation. God warring against the nations. Now, it's not going to be like this long, drawn-out thing. All the nations of the world are going to come against Jesus, and they're going to lose. He won't have an army. It will be him. Actually, the army that he brings with him will be adorned in white robes, and they won't even have to fight. It won't be the Facebook meme where God's arm wrestling with Satan. It, it, it will be the shortest arm wrestling ever if that's the case. But as it's over, verse 4 says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. This is the place where Jesus ascended from in the book of Acts. He will come back in like manner as what the angels told him in the book of Acts. They, the apostles were standing there going, whoa, what just happened? He, he stepped foot off of the ground, went to heaven, descend, ascended in between the clouds, and then they saw him no more. And they stood there gawking like we would because, you know, we rubberneck when we see things that we don't understand. We go, what, what just happened? But what happened is the two angels showed up to the apostles and they said, what are you standing here for? He gave you stuff to do. He's coming back. Why don't you get to work? Because he's it, just in the same way he went up, he's going to come down on this place. And so he sets foot on the Mount of Olives. And when he does this, verse 4 says, the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then fast forward to verse 8. In that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of the living water toward the eastern sea, and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one, and his name is one. So that's all the Old Testament. The Lord God, he is one. And so this water proceeds from between this mountain valley. And what we learn in Ezekiel chapter 47 is that the water, it will be living water, but it will be life-giving water because it will flow down to Jordan and it will flow into the Dead Sea. Now, what's the Dead Sea known for? It's saltiness, and there's nothing living in it. And I've swam there. It's kind of nasty. 
but you can float without working at it. So who doesn't like that? You don't need your pool noodle. But what you'll also know is that there's nothing living in it because the saline or the salt content is so high. But in the day of the Lord, when the water proceeds in the millennial kingdom, the water will flow forth from Mount Zion, or from the Mount of Olives, rather. It will flow through the Dead Sea, and what will happen is that Dead Sea will now be alive. It will be resurrected. The water that comes forth from this place will make that place teeming with fish and life. Fishermen will be on the sea. They'll be catching loads of fish so much that their boats will be weighed down. So this water is life-giving. But this is not the same water in Revelation chapter 22 because this, for whatever reason, it's a different river. But it flows out of the New Jerusalem instead. Uh, But it has a lot of similarities. Uh, Verse 2, the tree of life is in this place. Now, it bears 12 fruits. and, And this tree of life somehow is in the middle of the walkway. And it's on both sides of the river. So it's like one of those river trees. That you can't, you ever see a willow tree growing next to water? It's like you cannot kill the thing. You cut it down and it just kind of sprouts even more. It's this life that can't be quenched, but it produces 12 different fruits. Now, how many of you have seen a tree that produces more than one fruit ever? Yeah, me neither. But it just so happens to pr- produce 12 fruits, a different fruit every month. So you never get tired of it. And, and I'm sure they have a purpose, but it's a fruitful tree just like we as believers as we're abiding in the lord he produces the fruit of the spirit through us but then the leaves mentioned in verse two it says they're for healing and i want you to notice that because what did we use leaves for and i say we because we were represented by adam and eve in genesis chapter three verse six through seven right after they sinned against god and they ate from the tree that they were told not to eat from What did they do? They recognized that they were naked. They were ashamed. Not naked and afraid, naked and ashamed. And they they took leaves and they hid from God. They hid their nakedness. And God showed them later that that would take animal sacrifice to produce a covering for sin. But in the meantime, these leaves are not for hiding. They're actually for the healing of the nations. So these leaves from this tree are meant for life. But then verse 3 goes on to say, and in this place there is no more curse. Well, let's unpack that because what is the curse? We're not talking about no more cussing. We're not talking about uh, no more cursing. We're, We're talking about a specific curse that has plagued you and I since Genesis chapter 3. So let's turn there. Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14. After the blame game, God comes to them and said, what, why are you hiding? They said, we're naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Because they weren't aware of their nakedness until they partook of the tree. So the Lord God said to the serpent who tempted them, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put war, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. 
in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to rule over your husband, and he shall rule over you. So there's part of the curse. Praise the Lord when that goes away. And then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. He says, because you listen to your wife. Now, don't misinterpret that. Men, you should listen to your wives. But the idea here is that he listened to his wife instead of God. If your wife has godly counsel that's in the Lord, you should listen. Your ears should perk up. Humble yourself, men. Some of the most godly advice I've ever received is when my wife said something to me I don't like. But she speaks, and God speaks through her. So we need to sift through that. If she agrees with the Lord, you ought to agree. Repent. God's given us godly wives for a reason. And so that being said, that's just a little side note. Not that I've ever struggled with that. But because he heeded his wife's voice instead of God, his wife's voice told him something that was opposing to what God had already commanded him. There is a curse, and he's accountable for that curse, not her. It says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Toil is working to the point of exhaustion. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, till you die, essentially. But out of it, you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return. So this is the curse. Woohoo! That's the bad news, right? But in this new kingdom, in the fulfillment of all things, when God purifies things, he makes all things new. In the new heaven, the new earth, here's what happens. No more of that. To you that's exhausted from toiling, it'll be over. No more toil. No more sweating to the point of exhaustion, trying to provide for your family food. At that point, it'll be over, and you'll get to enjoy working. It won't be at the sweat of your brow, and it won't be because you have to. You'll get to do things just for the sheer enjoyment of it. And I know some of you, you enjoy working, you just don't like that it exhausts you. You won't be exhausted anymore. You'll still get to do things in the kingdom. So, no more curse. And then verse 4, he goes on to say, They shall see his face, his name shall be on their foreheads, there shall be no more night, they need no lamp for light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. So, for those of you that read all that he's already said, how can this be possible? The angel says, these words can be taken to the bank. If there's anything anyone has ever said to you before, this promise is faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And then for the first time in this chapter, Jesus speaks and says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw 
I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. So before we get there, verse 6 says, a word you can place your hope upon. And I want to turn real quick to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Because there, the apostle Peter, to stir up and encourage those who uh, were being persecuted in Peter's day, he wrote down something to let them know how important it was they took heed to the things that he was teaching about Jesus. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter writes, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven, and when we were with him on the holy mountain. This is the transfiguration. We saw, we heard, we beheld. And then verse 19, So we have... The prophetic word confirmed. If one person tells you something about Jesus, but it's not confirmed by another witness, it may not be true. The Old Testament teaches that without the confirmation of at least two witnesses, an issue is not established. And you know that in our court system. If you got one witness for something, it's not a very strong case. God holds himself to the same standard. And so he says, we have this prophecy, this foretelling of what of the truth confirmed by the prophets, which you do well to heed or take listen to as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. You can't just make it mean anything you want, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it all points us to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So back here in Revelation, he goes on to say, these words are faithful and true. You can trust your life with them. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show you, his servants, the things which must take place shortly. And then he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. He's going to say that three times today. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Okay, so what am I supposed to do with that? Well, glad you asked. He says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is he who receives these words and keeps them. What does that mean, that word keep? To keep something. Does that mean to, to have it and to hold it and to just have it sitting there like the family Bible's been sitting on the shelf for years? I'm going to keep this book. Why? Because God's word says to. No. The word keep there means to guard. Okay. So I'm supposed to watch over it. I'm supposed to protect it. Do I need to protect the word? of? No, that's not the idea. Uh, another word is watches. He who watches this word. So you have your eyes open to it. You keep a lookout, or here's a better interpretation, to keep your eye upon it. Think about Jesus when he walked out onto the water to his disciples. And then Peter, being in the boat, saw him, and they were all scared because they thought it was a ghost. 
And so they're like, we've never seen anybody walk on water before, and they're freaking out. Like all of us would, by the way, if you're out in the middle of a sea, and there's no lights going on, and you are in a storm, and then a person's walking in the water, you're going to freak out. And so when they finally realize that it's Jesus, Peter calls out to him and says, Lord, if that's you, call me out to be where you are. And so Peter, although he gets a lot of flack for this, Peter walked on water. I didn't. He stepped out of the boat. Peter was called out on the water by Jesus. And as long as he kept his eye on the Lord, he keeps this word. I've called you out. He's fine. But as soon as he starts to look away from the Lord, that's when he starts to sink. Now, at the same time, in the moment where he sunk, the moment he spoke to the Lord and said, help, the Lord's there, pulls him out. And in one take, I I thought it was interesting, one of the gospel accounts, it says, as soon as Peter was in the boat, they were at the shore. So not only was Jesus there to get him inside the boat out of the wind and the waves, but as soon as he called out to the Lord, they were actually at at their destination. I, I think that's amazing. But anyway, all that to say, he who keeps these word is ble- these word the words of this book are blessed the book of revelation behold he's coming quickly so keep your eyes on jesus well in revelation chapter 1 verse 3 he's already said this revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says blessed is he who reads okay so that's the idea of keeping the word keep putting it in you keep feasting upon it And those who hear the words of this prophecy, those who keep listening for what God's trying to tell them, those who are regularly paying attention to Bible teaching, and to those who keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The time is near. What's that mean? He said that almost 2,000 years ago. What do you mean the time is uh, near? Well, for the the Lord, a day is as a 1,000 years And a thousand years is as a day. So from the Lord's perspective, the time is very near. We are in the last days. We're towards the end of the week. If a thousand days, and I'm not saying that this is the interpretation, but I'm saying, say that a thousand days is a thousand years is a day to the Lord. Say you believe in early creation, which I do. You don't have to. But say that the earth is about 6,000 years old uh, and there's a seven day week. That tells me there's about a thousand years left and we got a millennial kingdom somewhere in there and Jesus is coming back soon. That's all I know. And so in, in, in light of that, what are we supposed to do? Keep to the word of God. Keep looking upon it, gazing upon it. Lord, what do you have for me? How am I supposed to walk in these dark days? The word of God is able to instruct us until he returns. So verse eight, As John takes this all in, it says, I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and I saw, I fell down and I worshiped. He prostrates himself. He lays himself down on the ground and he worships. By the way, I believe that this is a proper response. When God speaks to you through his word, when you've been gazing upon it and you see his faithfulness and his promises towards you and how he's been faithful to those who have walked in the past, we should be brought low to a place of worship. But you'll notice that though he had a proper response, it was the wrong recipient. (laughs) Many times God uses people to speak into our lives 
and we start to unfortunately worship the people that he uses rather than worshiping the one who spoke through them. And so we need to be careful about that. But notice that the angel responds right away and he says, do not do that. Verse 9, he said to me, see that you do not do that for I am your fellow servant. Did you know that angels are fellow servants of the most high God with us? And I am of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Now, I don't know what that means. Is this an angel? Is this someone that's already gone to be with the Lord that's prophesying to John? I don't know. I thought it was an angel. I don't know how that all works out. Maybe that's something you can dig on on your own. But here's what he says. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. I think this is interesting because he says, blessed is the one who keeps these words of this book. But then he says, don't keep them to yourself. Keep the words, but don't keep them to yourself. Speak the word of God in your daily life. And you may be looking for creative ways to do this. Well, I heard one yesterday, so I'm going to rob it from Tyler that was teaching at this conference I was at. He said, if you're looking for a way to speak words, he was giving the example of an interview or giving the example, you know, they always ask that question, what do you see in your five-year plan? And instead of saying, here's what my ambitions are, list out what your plans are and then say, Lord willing, this is what I would like to do. So what you're doing in there is you're taking the word of God, you're applying it to your life, you're using it as your common speech. You don't even have to say the name of Jesus. You're just saying, my Lord has plans for me that I don't know about. And though I have plans for my future, I'm putting them in submission to his plans. So you're saying, I have a plan, but the Lord has a plan, and I don't know if it's exactly what he has planned. So Lord willing, here's what I'm going to do. And I love this because it's a way to be bold in our faith and speak about the word of truth. So he says, in the context of Revelation, he says, don't seal up these words. Words that God speaks to you, don't seal them up. But many in the Christian church believe that Revelation is a scary book. They also believe it's a book we can't really know what it means. And they also believe that it's a book that's been sealed that we don't know what it means yet. And I believe, based on what it says in the book, that God's intention is not for us to keep it sealed up, but his intention is for us to expose it, to to learn what it means for us, and then to teach others. And so he says he desires that this word would be spoken amongst the church. And so that's what we're doing today. He says, don't seal up the words of this book. Well, why would he say that? Well, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 26, and then chapter 12, verse 4, God revealed much of the same things. We studied Daniel last year, or maybe it was two years ago. But in Daniel, these two different verses, he reveals all this stuff to Daniel, and then he says, seal up the volume of this book until later, and then I'll reveal to you what it all means. But what I want to point out is that we're in a different time period in the Bible. Jesus came on the scene in Matthew chapter 10, and he says, everything that I tell you, shout it from the rooftops. Stand on the tallest thing around you and make sure everybody knows. Don't be silent. 
we're tempted right now as a believing people to shrink back from being bold because right now in order to say anything and say that it's true everyone's implying that you're implying the other thing is absolutely untrue to take a stance on anything is the most offensive thing you can do right now but we have the truth and i'm not saying you need to go out there and shove it down people's throats but don't be afraid to speak the one thing that actually can fix everything we're struggling through right now be bold be sober be vigilant recognize the evilness and the shortness of the days we only have a few days left to speak say jesus doesn't come back until you die or after you still only have so many years left right use them speak god is speaking to you let him speak through you you're just, you're you're only responsible to speak not to change people and i say that because if you turn to verse 11 here it says um, and i think this is a word for today he says this after saying not to seal up the words he says he who is unjust christian let him be unjust still he who is filthy let him be filthy still he who is righteous let him be righteous still and he who is holy let him be holy still share the word of god let it be the seed that lands on people's hearts and let it be the change agent pray that the holy spirit would light on fire the word of god and change people i am ashamed to say that what happened at the courthouse and maybe this is something i shouldn't speak about but i'm just moved because we have a lot of people in our community that absolutely showed their butts last week and i don't know where your stance is but i think that all lives matter because we are all part of the human race that jesus shed his blood to save everyone and i think that group you may disagree with me came down to lay a trap so they could get photos and video of us showing our butts and you know what we did as a community we showed our butts and by the way pictures of your butts don't look good no matter what it looks like and unfortunately we live in a community that's pretty much in a bubble right uh, whether you believe that or not i do uh, we still live in a good old boy spot and a lot of the people that live here are pretty moral for the most part you know they're not going to do anything to you that they wouldn't want you to do to them until until their cage is shaken until they're squeezed until somebody says inflammatory things to them and then they get their trucks out they put their flags on and they start yelling f-bombs flipping people off young upstanding men from our schools standing up flipping off the camera That's, there's no conversation to be had there haters gonna hate filthy people gonna be filthy you know uh, so all this to say what is our stances believe how are we supposed to respond to this and i don't i'm not going to say that it's to just not show up i do believe that if this group comes down and starts yelling f-bombs and yelling and nobody shows up to dance with them there's no dance they go home you know 
Don't answer a fool according to his folly is what I believe. It only stirs up wrath. But the other side of it is, should we be silent? No. But should we speak our words or the word of God? If you're going to speak, have something to speak from the Lord. There is no peace for the wicked. There's going to be stirred up. But I tell you what, if you saw any of the videos or the photos, you know better how to pray for our community than you ever have. Because though we look like a pristine and good old boy society, there's nasty here. That's why the gospel is needed. The guy that doesn't cuss and doesn't chew and doesn't go with girls that do, he does when it gets bad. He shows up and shows his butt. It's because he doesn't know Jesus. It's because she doesn't know Jesus. And that's the only thing that will change their hearts, not spewing out nasty at a, as a, at a protest. So all that to be said, pray with me about that. How are we supposed to respond? This is our community. This is our community. We are the only salt and light here. We got brothers and sisters around the community. I'm not saying we should be vocal, but we should be begging God to do something different. How are we to be the change? How are we to speak to hate? How are we supposed to interact with people that, that are spending their nights getting all upset about something that we already knew was going on? It's just been brought to the surface like a pimple that needs to be popped. It's nasty. And so all that said, he said, he who is unjust, let him be. He who is filthy, let him be. He who is righteous, let him be righteous. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the beginning. I am the end. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last word. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside the gates are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. So verse 12, the second time, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. I'm bringing my reward with me. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We are rewarded for faith, not works. And yet our works prove our faith. That's what James says. And at the same time, we're saved by grace through faith. And yet what he says here is to those who keep my commandments, they will be given the right to enter into the city and partake of the tree of life. Well, as a Christian, how do I keep the commandments? By faith. Jesus kept the commandments for us. And now we no longer keep the commandments to be saved, but because out of a love that Christ has shown us, we can do no other but want to please the one who saved us. He's righteous. He's good. Out of love, we want to respond in gratefulness. But he says, behold, I'm coming quickly by faith. So he says this. He says, without faith... It is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God by faith must believe that he is, that he exists, but that he's also the rewarder of those who keep his word, those who diligently seek him. So 
Those who do his commandments, those who by faith keep to his word, they have the right to the tree of life and they're allowed into the city. Think about this. In Eden, in the garden of Eden, they sinned against God. They were cast out of the garden and then the tree of life was guarded by angels no longer to be able to be accessed by you and I. And yet in Christ, in the new kingdom, in this place where God dwells, we're given the right to access the tree of life. Sinful man able to partake of the tree of life living forever is a horrible, horrible existence. But man made righteous and holy and able to partake of this tree is a blessing. But verse 15, it says there, outside are dogs. Does that tell me that all dogs don't go to heaven? (laughs) Disney didn't get it right. But is that what he's talking about? No, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. Sorry, Philippians. Like I said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul writes to the Ephesian, there I go again. Paul writes to the Philippian church and says, beware of dogs. We're not talking about the yard dog that barks at you. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the circumcision or the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about religious people that deny the power of godliness. They proclaim to be godly, and yet they deny God's power to have an effect on their life. Think about Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, those who are religious but don't really know God. So he says, outside of the gates, verse 15, are dogs and sorcerers, those who practice witchcraft, those who are sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 22, we just read it in our plan this morning, says there is no peace for the wicked. There is no entrance into the presence of God under the banner of peace for the wicked. So going on to verse 16, we're going to close this out, I promise. Verse 16, finally, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. He's writing to John, who is a pastor of the persecuted church in not around 90 AD. John, you're going to get to re- leave the island of Patmos. And you're going to go proclaim this re- revelation of Jesus Christ to the persecuted church that's uncomfortable and being having their lives threatened. There is an end to these problems. No more curse. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David the king that's going to obtain the throne, inherit the throne. I am the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So he says, number one, this is who's speaking. I'm Jesus, the root, the descendant of David to inherit the throne. I'm the bright and morning star. We read that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And he says to them, to who would read Revelation, he says, the spirit and the bride, this should be their testimony. This is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Come to Jesus. This is the testimony of the bride. Who's the bride? The church. 
What is the testimony of the bride? Come to Jesus. He says, those who have already received, those who have already come to Jesus, our testimony, just in case you're confused, come to Jesus. To those who thirst, those who have not yet come, those who have a desire for something other than this life has to offer, Jesus' message to you, you've not done anything that will keep you from me. Come. I've paid the price for your sin. Come to me. Repent of your sin. Believe in my sacrifice. Come. Anybody that says that God is someone that just hates and, and is trying to keep people away from it, that's not the message. The message is come. And then Jesus to the 12. What did he say to each one of the 12 that followed him in this life? The same exact message. To Matthew, the tax collector, come, follow me. To Peter, the fisherman, come, I'll make you fisher of men. To each one of the other 11, 10 that we don't really even think. To Judas, Iscariot, the betrayer, the one who Satan used to sell him into the hands of sinners to be murdered. What did Jesus say to Judas Iscariot, knowing he would be betrayed by him? Come. He's, he doesn't judge with partiality. What you do with the message of come, that's strictly up to you. Verse 18, a warning about the book. For I testify to everyone, this is John speaking, Everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, there's a curse added to them. God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if you've been with us, the plagues are many. This is, no, this is a sobering thought. Verse 19, but to them who take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, his part from the holy city, his part from the things which are written in this book. The kingdom promises, they will be taken from you if you take away from this book. And so that's a sobering warning. Verse 20, the third time. Number three, it's the, the number of perfection. Think about it, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here we have the third time. Surely, Jesus says, I come quickly. He who testifies to these things, surely I am coming quickly. And John's response, amen. So be it. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So the message to the world, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul in this life. I will give you rest for eternity when we go home but then his message also is, I'm coming quickly. Come to me because I'm coming quickly. And John says, even so, come. Amen, so be it. Your timing will be perfect. The grace of our Lord, John says, be with you all. Amen. So here's the, the end of it all. We're tempted to see all of this and go, okay, we need to make rules to prepare for his coming. John says, I want you to live in the grace of God as he gets ready to approach. Bask in God's grace. Recognize that him calling you to come is all a manner of him saying, you've been saved by grace through faith. 
Now live by grace through faith, and that's the way to be called home. Amen. And Ephesians 2 talks about that grace. Not only that's able to save you, but that grace is also able and capable to sanctify you and prepare you for the day he's talking about. His, his, his coming is going to come like a thief in the night. So therefore, keep to his word. Give everyone according to his work. Your reward is coming. And at the same time, behold, I'm coming quickly. So be ready. So Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon us to study through your word in the New Testament. We look forward to what you have for us as we get ready to partake in the book of Genesis. Lord, we ask for your grace to be poured out. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's never heard the message, come. For those who, <clears throat> for those who know you, for those of us who know you, help us to daily and moment by moment come to you. To come so that we can receive and keep your word and share it not to keep it to ourselves. For those of us who have been called to come, who have not yet bowed the knee and humbled ourselves and repented of our sin, Lord, please help us to come by faith and to truly, fully trust and believe your word that says that you're able to save to the uttermost. Those who have been sinning to the guttermost, Lord, thank you that I am above all able to say that because of what I have done, I've been able to experience your grace even more. Thank you for saving. Thank you for changing. And thank you for giving me the faith to walk day by day. And Lord, thank you for the message that you are coming back for your bride. And we look forward to that day. Help us to live by faith and to endure until the end. The blessing is for those who continue to race and finish by faith, being made righteous by you, until your return. Prepare us for your coming. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.